Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Welcome back to the latest edition of The Audible, presented by Trader Joe's. I'm Bruce Feldman, joined as always by my colleague from The Athletic, Stuart Mandel. We are taping this about an hour or two after the first CFP rankings came out. Are we going to overreact? What are we going to do here, Stu? You know, it used to be, I would say the first three or four years of this thing, I would watch eagerly, I would parse everything Jeff Long or whoever the committee chairman was at the time, Kirby Hokut said, looking for clues about the criteria. Whoever the poor schmo was who had to, who got stuck having to defend the other folks in the room in front of national TV for what turns out to be a, I don't know what to categorize how ESPN handles this. It just doesn't, I'm not saying it's not authentic. Faux drama. Yeah, thank you. That's probably a better way of putting it. It actually, people watch it. Like it, it achieves its goal. People watch the show. Um, but you do have to kind of, especially with these early ones, right? I mean, you really have to try to manufacture drama knowing that the number one and three teams are going to play each other this week. Um, Ohio State's number two. Oh, boy, Michigan's behind Clemson. If Michigan beats Ohio State and wins the Big Ten, don't worry. They're going to the playoff. I think the only one who might feel a little bit slighted is TCU, um, and I get it. They're they're undefeated and they're below Alabama, but... I can't. I can't really get worked up about that because I think Alabama is probably better than TCU, right? It's like, you know, I don't. It doesn't feel controversial to me. Maybe like some some past years, right? We're giving TCU in this case, who's undefeated, and there's something to be said for that. But there's basically two quality wins on their schedule. Are we still calling them quality quality, quality wins? Is that a term anymore? Or no? Am I dating myself for my three? Uh, no, I think we use that one. That one's still in play, I believe. I didn't hear it tonight, but I believe that's still in play. Okay. They mentioned top 25 wins a lot. Okay, so you have two top 20 wins yeah. over Oklahoma State and Kansas State. They're both somewhere in the teens. Um, I feel like Case, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State just got smashed by K-State, which, look, that propped up K-State, and it probably watered down Oklahoma State. I think what is not going to help uh, TCU – and I thought I heard this somewhere along the way in the discussion, maybe on the ESPN show, but they were like, well, they're going to play Baylor. Well, Baylor's five and three, you know, like, I don't know who they get to play. Um, you know, who, let's say they run the table, whoever they beat at best is going to be a three loss team. And that's not going to do that much for the committee. I think if TCU goes undefeated, it'll, it'll take care of itself. Most likely. Most likely. Uh, Yeah. You know, they're going to play Texas next week. And, you know, that's a common opponent with Alabama, who Alabama almost lost to. You know, you've said for a while, they they just make it up as they go along in terms of the the reasoning. Rationale. The rationale. Because he dinged TCU for, um, you know, those are the two top 25 wins, right? Oklahoma State and uh, K-State. 
well, their defense didn't play very well. Left to put a lot, scored. They scored a lot of the other team scored a lot of points on them, and they had to come back and win. Okay, fair fair complaint. What about when Alabama had to come back to beat Texas at the end, or actually lost a football game uh, against Tennessee? Right. So you can you can say whatever you want to justify either one. Let me um, ask you this though, Stu. Um, I'm looking at 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 Alabama's schedule, like. They wanted they wanted Texas barely. Um, you know, I feel like if it was not Alabama, we'd be talking about how, you know, maybe they got some favorable calls or I don't know what. But like, so their most impressive win right now on their schedule is at Arkansas, right? Which Boo Corrigan made it seem like they beat the eighty-five Bears. <laughs> he just kept talking about their dominant win over Arkansas, and okay, Arkansas, if you remember, right. Lost to Texas A&M when the field goal doinked off the upright. If that field goal goes in, they're 6-2 and two right now. They're probably ranked in the top 15. If I'm not mistaken, so, by the way, Arkansas is nowhere in the top 25, though. They're not. They're not. But the way he talked about them made me think. I would not be surprised if the committee members think Arkansas is a better football team than Oklahoma State or Kansas State. But they can't justify ranking them at 5-3. and three. So, um, you know, it's it's, again... They use resume to justify Tennessee so being number one. And, their best, and I their agree. Only, their only win, uh, like I'm thinking this through because I'm, am I missing something? Their only win in the top 25 over these top 25 teams is against Texas, right? That's correct. Which is a worse uh, TC, team. TC, if you're going just on resume, TCU has every box checked there. More top 25 wins, uh, more teams with winning records, having not having a loss, but... What I was going to say is they invoke resume in certain situations, like why Tennessee's number one, two top 10 wins, why um, why Clemson is higher than Michigan, three top 25 wins. But then in this situation, yeah, forget resume. We just we don't think TCU is a dominant enough team. They don't have a good enough defense. I mean, so let me ask you this, because I know these things tend to work themselves out. Form doesn't usually hold up, but... Would you agree with me by saying TCU does not control its own destiny? Hmm. Disagree. Because I, I I, just can't see a scenario where they would leave out an undefeated Power 5 team. And it's not like this isn't, um, you know, like the ACC from a couple. Remember a couple years ago, Clemson almost didn't play a top 25 team yeah. the entire ACC season? This isn't that. We both agree it's a pretty strong conference this year. Let me help you here, um, though. This is why I don't think they control their own destiny. So above them, you have Clemson, who, look, North Carolina is not as is better than we were thought they were going to be at the beginning of the year. So that, you know, playing them, it's not going to be a gimme in the, you know, in the ACC title if it plays that way. But I feel like Clemson has the easiest road to get there, right? Then you're looking yes. at it, Michigan and Ohio State, Given the, how bad the Big Ten West is, there's a pretty good chance it's going to be Michigan or Ohio State. So that's two teams. Now we got three teams sitting there, Tennessee, Georgia, and Alabama. You're going to need some, some upset beyond those three teams, I think, for there not to be two SEC teams. So because Alabama – I mean, if Alabama loses another game, they're going to drop out of that consideration, I think. But you're saying you have these three teams that have kind of boxed TCU out because if, if Georgia wins this week, 
but loses to Bama, they're both going. If Tennessee wins this week, but like if Tennessee, no, so let me let me throw this out, and you tell me maybe I'm missing this. But let's say Georgia beats Tennessee. Tennessee is now a one-loss team. Assuming they don't stumble someplace else, they will be eleven and one with a win over Alabama, who will be the SEC West champ. And you know, like so, you have Tennessee sitting there, and then to me. It's like the Georgia Alabama game turns into a a uh, you know a CFP game, and then whoever wins goes, and then the other you know like Tennessee, and I'm not dinging Tennessee for this. I'm just saying Tennessee's sitting there number one right now. Even if they lose to Georgia, unless they lose to Georgia in like an Oregonian way, you know, like they are probably going to not fall past TCU, and I don't think TCU you know, is going to be able to do enough to help the committee and say, because again, they're going to beat probably at best a three loss team in the big 12 title. If it works out, they may beat a four loss team. I think you're, I, I hear what you're you saying. You hear what I'm I saying. Do. I mean, I'm like, I don't think it's crazy. Yeah, you're right. Do they control their destiny? Technically? No, no, absolutely. But not. you would be, think. that would be completely unprecedented. I mean, you're still at the end of the day talking about undefeated. And I think when the committee started, there was some thought that, you know, if strength of schedule was so much different that, that, a, that, a, you know, but they've, to this point, they have almost always, they've always taken the team with the least losses. I mean, for yeah. all the top quality wins, metrics, blah, blah, blah. Too la- till you go last undefeated, year. you're going to, as a power five team, you're going to make it. Till last year, they'd never had a group of five team make it. And it did. And it did because there weren't enough other. Um, I know. Maybe I'm arguing against myself, right? but yeah. No, I, no, I mean, no. This year is very different. I mean, this year is very different than last year in that you have this triangle of SEC teams. You could have Ohio State, and Michigan both go into the last game undefeated. Like I think, from a subjective standpoint, like most people are going to say, those five teams are better than TCU, regardless of like who ends up being who down the stretch. But I just don't think they have it in them to leave out a thirteen and zero power five team i don't uh, that would i think definitely not happen now if you're saying tcu let's say tc loses to texas but makes it to the big 12 title game and wins and they're 12 and one. Oh, i don't think they're going then i don't think no i think there's where 11 and one tennessee gets. i don't instead. think there's a I, I think there's a very little chance of a one loss well it would only be tcu of you know unless tcu is undefeated because i think if they get knocked off somewhere along the way they're going to drop to like 11 or something um, I just think for, for whatever reason, the committee has a hard time because right now I would have TCU above Alabama, but if Alabama goes off and, and beats Georgia in the SEC title game or beats Tennessee in the SEC title game, um, they're leapfrogging a one law. They're, they're leapfrogging an undefeated TCU. And there's no way of that not happening. So, I mean, well, so are, if TCU's in that precarious state, then what does that say about Oregon and USC who are behind them? They need major help. They, I mean, but I already knew that. I already felt like going in, they were going to need a lot of help. You better go, you know, like, also, you know, if North Carolina goes and beats Clemson, you know, it may not, it, it may not leap them over an undefeated TCU team. I don't think it wouldn't, but I think it would, might leapfrog them over whoever, you know, if it's a, if it's a one loss UCLA or one loss Oregon or one loss USC. I think, you know, I wouldn't feel that confident if I was the Pac-12 school just because they're sitting there. They would be sitting over there with a win over Clemson. 
it's definitely we've never we've had you know last year we had Georgia Alabama make it. Um, it was the year before actually when Notre Dame spent a year in the ACC, right? That we had yeah. two. We've never had a situation where two different conferences had multiple um, teams you could see getting in. The only one I could see having, I think if Michigan loses, and I don't think they can get in, the committee kind of signaled that tonight, um, having them below Clemson. That was a a bit of a shot at the non-conference schedule. But everybody else, I mean, everything you're describing about the SEC scenario could also apply to Ohio State. They're number two in the country. If they go 11-0 and they look really good doing it and then they lose by a field goal to Michigan, probably going to be a – they're pro- are they going to fall behind TCU? Let's call this a puncher's chance thing. You know who actually has a puncher's chance of making the playoff, and they're far out in the their Illinois. Yeah, that's right. Because <laughs> they're going to get Michigan in the regular season, and then if they win that game, they're probably gonna, probably going to get Ohio State in the in the Big yeah. Ten title game. If somehow they win those two games and they're still sitting there at twelve and one. They're going to leapfrog a bunch of teams. And like, I don't know, would they go over an undefeated TCU team? Yeah, I think they actually would. I mean, they would be in this fantasy scenario. They would be a twelve and one Big Ten champ with wins over two current top five teams. Yeah, of course they would yeah. go. go. Yeah. By the way, just to our friend Brett Bielema, Stu's not saying it's a fantasy that you would win the Big Ten. Title. Well, I actually got a written mailbag question about this that's going up on Wednesday. And when I started looking into Illinois a little bit, I was kind of like, oof. They're really good I on defense, think... and they have a really good running back. And Tommy and they have... is playing very well. Yeah. Playing pretty well. Uh, you might want to qualify that. No. <laughs> that, was the part that, that was the part that tri- – when I saw just how little of a passing game they have, I was like, ah, that's going to be hard to beat a Michigan or an Ohio State being that one-dimensional. I mean, it's – it, he's definitely to his credit. I'm not trying to take it away from them. He's built them in the mold of Wisconsin of 10 years ago. But even those Wisconsin teams had a, a passing game. You might They would not have been like the most heralded quarterbacks. But, uh, you know, they, they – oh, shoot. What was the guy's name? Who are you talking about? They're so unheralded that I can't even remember the name. Scott Tolzien. Oh. Like Scott Tolzien was like a top 10 rated passer. He just got overshadowed by uh, Tommy DeVito, passer. 12 touchdowns, only two interceptions. Hasn't thrown an interception in over a month. Well, do you know why? I mean, I'm, I'm not saying he's bad, but part of the reason why is that they don't really have him pass very often. How much do you think Cade McNamara threw the ball last year? Was it that much more? Um, no, it was the, not. The, the, the thing that that's, troubled me about um so tommy so yards per attempt is a key stat to me and in that regard tommy devito is uh 72nd tied with spencer rattler whoa did you know that spencer rattler oh has i do five know. touchdowns and nine is, interceptions yeah and he in the last Good Lord. i think in the last five games five or six games against um Power five or against FBS opponents, he has one touchdown. I think five interceptions. The numbers are really bad. So he's actually those two are tied with two other players for seventy second, and in a crazy coincidence, the other two, one is Miami's Tyler Van Dyke, and the other is former Miami quarterback Nikosi Perry at FAU. Anyway, um, that was a bit of a tangent. 
it would be a phenomenal story for college football if Illinois went to the even if Illinois went to the Rose Bowl, right? After after how bad they've been. Can I throw something uh, at you by the way? Might be the more realistic scenario, by the way. Um Tommy DeVito, who you just indirectly kind of took a crap on, he actually has a higher <laughs> quarterback rating than Cade the McNamara did last year. Is that right? It is. Wow. That surprises me. Um but I would imagine the Georgia game in the playoff took a big beating on Cade McNamara's passer rating. You probably are right. You're probably all right. Okay, so Stu, I want to get into something that you posted recently. When I say recently, I'm guessing it was like an hour ago. All right, so you have uh, industriously, I don't know if that's whoever yours that word on this podcast, um, put out who the 12 team, what the 12 team field would look like in an expanded playoff format. Um, and it's so interesting to sit there and see Tulane at number 12 and ouch, they got Georgia in the first round. Um, so let me read off the first round uh, matchups. Obviously, uh, UCLA, which is in the top 12, well, they wouldn't make it in this scenario because Tulane, which is not in the top 12, but is a group of five, yep. would. So we have Oregon, the eight seed, getting a Pac-12 game against the number nine seed, USC. Georgia, not in the top four, uh, would would uh, host Tulane. Michigan, Which, by the way, I think is the is a flaw in this scenario, in this system. And this would have been the case last year, too. I get why they're incentivizing conference champions by giving them buys. But then you see, I mean, poor Tulane. <laughs> they're going to play a team in the first round that is number one in the AP poll right now and, and is pretty darn good. But go ahead. Then you get uh, number six, Michigan, against number 11, Ole Miss. What's interesting about that, and I think we talked about this on Sunday, you know, Ole Miss is sitting there with like one decent win and they would make the playoff um, in this. Then you have number 10, LSU, against number seven, Alabama. Just to do the quick math here, that is four four SEC teams making making this round. That doesn't even include Tennessee, the number one seed. So five SEC teams. Mr. Sankey probably feeling very good about that. Well, the committee was very bullish on LSU tonight, right? Like, I don't, I don't remember where they are in the AP poll, but it's not tenth. It's not in the top ten. So that that caused that. I think the interesting. So one of the reasons I wanted to do this is not just to see the matchups, but I mean, I went ahead and using. By the way, um, just, the to, details, just so you know, LSU yeah. is number fifteen. Number fifteen in the AP poll. And they're number 17 in the coaches poll. The committee loves the SEC. I'm not saying it's like a bias thing or we're trying to do TV ratings, whatever conspiracy theories people might have. They just think the SEC is really good. And most of the time, they're not wrong. Um, So, yeah, I wanted to see, you know, where the games would be played. For instance, how many times over the last, I don't know how many years, have you seen or heard, well, if the SEC had to play in the cold in December, you know, well, here's your chance. Ole Miss goes to Ann Arbor for a uh, game in mid-December. Um, I hope it snows. I do. I hope they get their wish. Um, if this were to happen, then, by the way, just let's say this is a sample size, that this would be the fifth SEC team, LSU. So they whipped Ole Miss 45-20. to 20. Um, They also got blown out at home by Tennessee by 27. And then you're looking at the rest of the resume that's a two-loss team. Like, I don't know. Like, what am I missing? Here? Well, remember, like, we're doing this is a snapshot of where things stand as of 
the rankings that just came out. I know. Alabama's going to play LSU this week. Yeah. If Alabama beats LSU, they're not going to be in this bracket next week. No, I'm just saying, like, you know, again, it's, this, this is why there's not enough information. To, and I'm not cr- criticizing you for this. I mean, it's the first round or whatnot. I'm just like, for them to be this high at 10, as opposed to, like, that's why I'm like, oof, this is, you know, we're basing it off I wonder of, if- like, one good win. I wonder if they gave them a pass for Florida State because it was, you know, first game of the new coaching staff, but also just all the weird things that happened in that game. And they end up like, what, did they lose by one point, I think, in the end? So I wonder if they just kind of didn't really ding them for that one. I don't know. I mean, blowout loss to Tennessee was to their number one team. But it's also was a home game. You lost by a ton to them. I mean, we're sitting there. Florida State's five and three. It's not like a great Florida State team. It's okay. I'm just surprised right. that they're a top ten team with two losses, and you know one of them was at, one of them was just getting blown off the field at home. That's surprising. Like I could see if you were saying, okay, they were fourteen or something, but um, you know they basically have one win to show for it. So it's fun to look at the matchups. I looked at some of the comments already. There are some people who are like, you know, I wasn't that big on the twelve team playoff, but boy, these are some fun matchups, and I think that that's going to be the main appeal of this thing when it comes and. I believe will be two years. I do think there's some quirks in the format that they came up with that I wonder how many years will they do this until they have to change it. One is, like I said, you know, top four seeds have to be conference champions. Sounds good in theory until you're blatantly, you know, moving teams into the top. Like TCU, who they have number seven, is a top, is a top four seed and gets a bye. And Georgia does not get a bye. Um and then the main thing, you know, you hear is like these quarterfinal games. So let's say uh, Oregon beats USC, let's say, and moves to the next round against Tennessee. That game would be at the Sugar Bowl. So Oregon got to host a playoff game, but Tennessee does not. To me, that's one of the weirdest things about mm. it. Good point, still. I really wouldn't, I wouldn't have thought of that. Um, like... Mm. You know, it's hard to look at this because we're going to see the that seven ten matchup for real in a couple of days. Alabama against LSU. Um, you know, look, credit to Tulane; they have a nice win over over a good Big Twelve team. Like, if I would, I mean, I'm sure somebody has done this. I just haven't seen it. If you would have, t- what like what what last year's open, what what would have been look like last year? I'm just trying to say. It wasn't Cincinnati, Georgia, or anything like that. But well, Cincinnati was higher Florida, ranked. Yeah, I mean, they'd beaten Notre Dame. They'd gone undefeated the year before. Like they had more credibility. I don't remember what they were. I think they might have been ranked sixth in the first rankings because I remember some people on our staff were ticked that they weren't in the top four. There's a big game, Bruce, in a couple, not this coming week, but next week. So the committee also has UCF in the top twenty-five at twenty-fifth, and wow, I wonder if game day will be going to this on November twelfth. I bet they will. UCF at Tulane, top 25 matchup, uh, winner, you know, there's a conference championship game at the end, so they, they still have to win that, obviously, but that w- I would assume the winner of that becomes your uh, favorite to get this hypothetical 12 seed. All right, enough playoff, enough rankings talk. There's been a couple of things in the news uh, since, since our last episode on Sunday that we need to address. You know, the aftermath of the Michigan State-Michigan situation, we're now up to eight Michigan State players who have been suspended. Um, and obviously waiting to see. I mean, Jim Harbaugh has been 
um, very outspoken that he thinks this should be that these, some of these uh, Michigan State players should be criminally charged. So we're waiting to see if that will happen. Um, I know you've been talking to some some people in and around there. Like, I don't think I grasped that night just how ugly this was and continues to be. Yeah, you, you know, some of the people there, they felt like it was almost like somebody gets, you know, gets dragged into an alley kind of thing where they get. You know, it's not two on one. It's like six on one, right? And the two players, uh, Jaden McBurrows and Jamon Green. I mean, you have one guy with a broken nose, another guy got a concussion. Um, the like the aspect of swinging a helmet at somebody. Um, you know, they're lucky it's not worse than what it was. You know, and a concussion is significant. Um, Tom Mars, who's an attorney, we both know is involved in this with Jamon Green's case, I would not be surprised if at some point there's going to be a civil lawsuit involved. Um, I don't know that. It would not surprise me if it gets to that point. There's just a lot of, um, it's a, it was an ugly situation, you know, and it was, um, you know, there's a lot of video of it. Right. And so, I mean, you can see, um, you know, initially in the first round of suspensions, there was four players, Michigan State suspended. And then there was a lot of Michigan fans, a lot of people are in, around Michigan who are like, what is up with Jacoby Windman? He is arguably their best player on defense. And there's a video of him at one point putting on his helmet in, and basically starting to throw punches at one of the Michigan players who's like being, you know, swarmed. And not long, you know, I don't know, it was a midday Tuesday. Then there, he was part of the four more players who got suspended uh, by Michigan State, you know. And I think it's um, it's just a really ugly situation, you know. And I think for people who looked at it and say, okay, you know, I remember, you know, I remember hearing there was a, there was some kind of incident in the tunnel at Michi- Michigan a few weeks earlier with Penn state, but we didn't have, nothing was like this. The other thing is this is not like unique necessarily to Michigan where like Michigan state is also a one tunnel, uh, stadium. Um, Michigan state beat Michigan. It didn't turn into this last year. Right. Um, you know, if I'm not mistaken, Rutgers who Michigan's going to play next is also a one tunnel team, you know? And, um, it's just, just a really, really ugly situation that um, the suspensions are only going to be, I think, the beginning because I think there's more stuff we'll find out if, if I guess, the prosecutor there will, will in fact, bring criminal charges. Um, you know, it's just, it's just the, one, of the ugliest, one of the uglier scenes we've seen in college football in a while. I was asked, you know, if that actually happens, if they – criminally prosecute some of these players if that's kind of going down a rabbit hole of okay well you know sometimes that happens out in the football field you know somebody cheap shots somebody they get hurt are we going to arrest them and so i looked up you remember you remember obviously the 2006 miami fiu yes brawl yes um involved a lot more players obviously than this did but it's the it was the one thing that came to mind in terms of like if you were going to charge somebody with a crime or something that happened on a football field, it could have been this. And one of the Miami players swings his helmet, um, starts swinging his helmet at somebody. I remember that being one of the, the flashpoints of it. But 
not to excuse any of that, obviously, but what's different about this to me is like when you're on the football field, it's an inherently violent place to begin with, right? Like you're not going in there thinking like I can just mind my own business. I'll be fine. But once you come off the field and you're walking down the tunnel, like that's just regular life. Let me, There's let an me. expectation that people aren't going to come and, and kick you and hit you. And, and I think what really makes that video so gruesome is that in, you know, these two Michigan players had their helmets off. They had taken their helmets off. They're coming down the tunnel and they get assaulted by guys who still have their helmets on or in one case well, one of swinging their helmet. Well, one of them, yeah. well, one of them uh, puts their helmet on to start throwing punches. It's in one like of the a videos, complete mismatch. Yeah. And then in one of the videos, you see a member of the Michigan State staff kind of running past all this where, you know, when we were doing the podcast on Sunday. I think I had seen one of the videos get posted. It was a short five second clip that you later see, you know, I think we talked about this, how there was probably going to be ABC ESPN footage from a tunnel camera. And I think there was a four, probably almost a five minute clip that they showed where that same incident. And you see, you know, this Michigan state, um, staff member basically running past it, not, you know, kind of interceding or I don't know, like it was just, just a crazy situation of how it exploded um, you know, when you just mentioned about other instance, other incidences, uh, we talked about Jermaine Burton the other day, the Alabama receiver who, when the Tennessee, and to me, this scenario, what I'm about to bring up is probably, I feel like more likely for, um, to have some ugly incident than the one we saw at Michigan, which is field storming. You have players who are really, really dejected or incensed or frustrated or all sorts of range of emotions. Now you have fans on the field who are celebrating and they're, you know, I'm, I specifically remember, I think USC lost to Stanford. I think it was Stanford. And I remember like some female student, like kind of mocked Lane Kiffin when he was the coach uh, and just being on the field and seeing it. Uh, I mean, Lane Kiffin, you know, is, was not going to really react to that person. But like, you know, if it was a if it was a, a college player who somebody's making, you know, like and their emotions from being in a football game, you know, you can see how that could get ugly fast, right? Especially when you know when they don't know which is coming at them, right? We I've you and I have seen plenty of being on the field after games. You know, I've I see, I remember a specific incident. I won't mention the player, but. Um, the, the the cameraman was trying to shoot a player who was like almost crying and he wa- wanted to lash out at the cameraman and one of one of his school's um, assistants really prevented him from having a really, really ugly situation. Yeah, field stormings like the one at Tennessee are really fun to watch on TV and I'm sure they're really fun to be a part of, but they are very dangerous. There's no other way around it. And that's that's why the SEC finds the schools, but... When the schools, you know, kind of blow it off the way Tennessee did, then it doesn't do you much good. Um, but I, I think, you know, we've both been in a lot of college stadiums. And I would say that a lot of times, this whoever the I don't know who these companies are that provide this, the security at some of these college stadiums, but they're not exactly imposing. And in that video in the tunnel, you see a guy that's a security guy, like, he notices what's starting to happen, and he runs in the other direction. Um, 
it's a lot different, frankly, than when we cover the national championship game and you're in an NFL stadium. Uh, like when they go to put up that stage to do the trophy, like there's a whole army of people who are like, you are not crossing this line. Like we're, we're going to put this thing up now and you're not coming through. And I don't know if it's just like the colleges don't spend as much money on security or you're in smaller towns. I don't know. But given the, given the possibility of trouble that we ended up seeing, I would think this should be a wake up call, not just for Michigan, but for a lot of people like, Hey, do we have enough security in place? Do we actually have the means to control a situation like this? Because, you know, that there's no excuse for the players doing what they did, but it also raises questions about that aspect of it as well. And lighter news for everybody but Brian Harson. Um, Brian Harson finally got fired. Been, we'd been waiting for that one. As soon as they hired a new AD, uh, John Cohen from Mississippi State. Not only did they fired Brian Harson, Bruce, they fired like everybody that came with him from Boise State. Like, I'm not clear who's coaching the team or, or this week or, well, Cadillac or Williams doing their is recruiting. Technically the former great running back is, is the interim. But, yeah, there's – as you said, it is not a surprise. We've expected it for a while. They're going to pay him north of $15 million. They're going to have to pay a bunch of it within the next um, month or so. But, look, I mean, this was a really bad fit right from the jump. It was a it was kind of an odd hiring situation. Doesn't mean those those don't work ever, but they basically was the AD was behind it and nobody else. And the AD got shoved out the door. Alan Green and the money people who are now going to probably really pull together to try to get the new head coach and also try to help him recruit players and get in you know be involved in NIL and in recruiting. But recruiting was awful under Brian Harson. I think they felt like they just did not feel like he fit or, you know, there. I don't know. I I guess I know why he took the job, but man, because he was a guy who won a bunch of games at Boise, but I don't know if he was looked at, like there was a bunch of Pac-12 schools, I think were kind of not, not all in on him. You know, sometimes you'd see a, a really good Mountain West coach who had had success and be like, "That's the next guy who's going to get a yeah a good Pac-12 job." And he wasn't. He wasn't really um, somebody that probably should have been about. the first sign, right? I mean, he. It's not like he was at you know at Boise State for he'd been their head coach since 2014, and lots of Pac-12 jobs have come and gone since then. And and the fact that he wasn't really a hot candidate for those. And that, but but he, but Auburn SEC program with national championship aspirations thinks he's the right guy. Maybe he should have been the first sign. I don't think I fully realized. I mean, obviously it did not go well. Um, the way, quite the way he was regarded there until Joe Goodman, really good columnist um, for uh, in Alabama, um, and very reasonable person in my experience, wrote that he is one of the worst c- coaches in the history of SEC football. I was like, oh, wow. So so that's how that's going to be remembered. Um, so they've got a chance now. They've spent over $40 million now. Well, I think probably well north of that, but that's just the ones we know, the costs we know, to fire Malzahn and, and Harson um, and their staffs. So clearly they've got money. And obviously we've seen in the SEC the last couple of years, like when schools have an opening, they go hard. They, they throw money to get Brian Kelly or Jimbo Fisher, at the, who at the time was a huge hire. Um, I don't think Auburn can hire another 
Like somehow that school for all its expectations ends up hiring Gene Chizik or Brian Harson. Um, they need a they need a big splash hire here. Okay. And there's two that stand out. Okay. Well, I have a four. You tell me who the two okay. are that stand out. Uh, to me, it's Lane Kiffin and Dion. Okay. Either one of them would galvanize the fan base, excite the fan base, like create momentum and buzz for that program. Who are your other two? The other two would be Matt Rule and Hugh Freeze. Okay, well, with Hugh Freeze, was that new contract not no, I don't, up I, already? No, I don't think five million dollars a year. The buy yeah, but that's not what the buyout is. From my understanding, the buyout gives him a lot of flexibility to be able to move. Okay. So so let's say if – and they have money. So Hugh Freeze, I believe, would be in play if Auburn and or Greg Sankey, the commissioner, want him to be in play. <laughs> okay. Then Matt Rule is somebody who I think is a good coach, but I don't think that one – that's not um, – that, that doesn't fall in the category of what I've just said, like where the fan base would be like, oh, wow, that's awesome. We hired Matt Rule. We're going to be great. Like I think because he, he – that's of the four you mentioned, he's the only one that would be coming off of having been fired at his last stop, having been viewed as not a success. The other three you're getting while they're hot. Okay. The other two, by the way, have been fired. Both obviously Lane was, was fired for USC on ceremonies on the tarmac. Freeze was fired – unceremoniously i don't know i mean it's beyond them <laughs> but they've had but they've both had a chance to rehab their images kiffin more so because i mean to me kiffin is to me i'll see if you agree or disagree if you can afford him and he can come i would i would make that higher you can afford Dion Dion appeals to me in a, in a certain way too but lane kiffin is at a school in your own division right now he won 10 games last year it looks like he'll win nine or ten this year and that is not a school that has historically been that good. So if he can do that at Ole Miss, what can he do at Auburn where you can recruit better players, where you have more money? And I just also think like he would relish the chance to be Nick Saban's rival. The idea that Lane Kiffin could be, quote unquote, the safer option. And I do <laughs> think that like from people who are looking at this, the reason why he would be a more safer option than Dion, Dion's the wild card in this because he is who won the FCS Coach of the Year Award last year. He beat everybody for the number one recruit in the entire country and got him to come into an FCS program. I mean, you know, I, I wrote this today because I have my Auburn search story up, but Deion Sanders, I mean, he took over a program. They hadn't had a winning season in six years before he showed up, and they are crushing people. They are, you know, they are 19 and, and 2. They... um you know, they have the number one defense in the country in FCS by a lot. And I think in a lot of ways, he would be the anti-Brian Harson. Whereas Brian Harson, I think people struggle to connect with down there. I think recruits would be would be falling all over themselves to have Dion do a home visit. And that's not to diminish Lane Kiffin at all. And then the question is, how would Dion, you just never had him coach at the major college level. You know, he's done an amazing job at an FCS program. I don't have doubts now um, that he would do, like, I felt like when Lane got to FAU, it was like, mm, I don't know how this is going to go. 
and Lane did very well. And he's done it. He's done even better at Ole Miss at this point because I think Lane has grown into his social media personality. Where honestly, Lane can do some stuff that a lot of other, you know, head coaches cannot do. And Lane kind of, I, I feel like Lane's sense of humor. Now we're all, you know, kind of, I'm not saying everybody likes Lane Kiffin. I don't know that, but I just feel like he has, um, he's kind of found, Lane has found Lane's lane in social media. And I know at, US, he, at USC, he was a punchline and now he's the one dishing the punchlines. USC, at USC, at Lane, Jimbo and whatnot. USC Lane could not get out of Lane's way. You know, and at Tennessee, when he was there, it was also, you know, he was kind of stepping in it a lot. Here at Ole Miss, he is not. He's punching up. He's, you know, he's, it's working for him. Um, I don't, the thing, you know, for people who say, why would he leave Ole Miss for Auburn? My, my reaction to that is the last two guys prior to Brian Harson, who coached at Auburn, one won a national title. The other came on the brink of winning a national title. Nobody since the sport has been integrated, has gotten close at Ole Miss, gotten close to it. So that's the reason why I would say that. You know, obviously, they have more resources at Auburn than you do at Ole Miss. You're already, as you said, you're already in the same division anyway. So to me, um, you know, I think those are the, the, the question on Dion is, from a little I've heard, I'm not sure how, what I gather, how comfortable some of the money people at, are at Auburn to say, you know, I don't know. I, I mean, this is the weird way of kind of framing it. But like, I think with a lot of head coaches who end up with, with jobs at big schools, especially some of these places, um, you know, like an Auburn or a bunch of, you know, more blue blooded places, you know, it's almost like the head coach is expected to kind of at some time suck up to some of the money people. And Deion Sanders is a big presence. I mean, you saw it when like Nick Saban and Deion and Jimbo got into that little weird thing in the off season. I mean, Jimbo and Nick Saban were slinging mud and Deion actually came out of that was the one who I felt like didn't have to apologize. Who was the one person who did not look small in that, in that thing. And so, you know, I don't know. It wouldn't be surprised. It wouldn't surprise me if some of the money people were almost intimidated by Deion. Because of his presence. first of all, are we? Yeah, we we have to call him if he does become the coach of Auburn. Do we have to like get on the SEC teleconference and say Coach Prime? Remember, you remember the the that's what his Twitter had, right? Jackson yeah. State guy got reporter got in trouble for not um, properly acknowledging him. No, I mean here's the thing: you mentioned it in passing, but like it is quite possible that if Deion Sanders were given a Power Five coaching job, that he would be the greatest recruiter you've ever seen. Like, he got a five-star, the number one player in the country, to come to Jackson State. How many five-stars could he get to come to an to a major SEC program? He may be the only coach. Like, if Lane Kiffin got the job, I think he would recruit well. You know, I think he's certainly really good at evaluating. Quinchon Judkins was not exactly, like, let's see here. He was the number 562 player in the country last year. And that's turning out to be a, a huge get. Um but I don't know that he would beat Nick Saban head to head on a lot of recruits. I think Dion might get a significant number of recruiting wins. But it's like you said, it's a big, big jump you would be making. So it's a fascinating I, thing. I, I wonder if it'll if it will come down to those two, or if 
Oh, they just go hire Kevin Steele. <laughs> like, like, like they would have, like they wanted to two years ago. I don't think it's going to be that. I don't like, I'd be really surprised if it got past Lane. I'm not saying, I don't know what happens with Dion if, if that, you know, if they give him serious consideration or they give him a passing consideration. I just know this. And I said this around the, the Georgia Tech thing when they, when that job came open, it was like, you think rival coaches in the, in that conference want no part of the option. They want no part of Deion Sanders coming in the home visit before them or after them. Cause no matter who they are, they will, they will pale in the, in the charisma and the confidence category. And when you're talking about 17, 18 year old kids, um, that stuff matters. So you think, so basically you're saying you don't know, we can't, we don't know if Auburn will actually pursue him or not. I think they but, will. I think they will give him some consideration. I don't know how open the money people will be to saying, "Yeah, they'll go all in for him." From my understanding, there is definitely real interest in Lane Kiffin. I don't know, you know, if they could talk themselves into Freeze. Look, Hugh Freeze is as good a football coach um, as just about anybody when it comes to offensive football in college right now. People may not like him. People may have a may be a little bit you know, creeped out by him at times. But he's a he, he'll win there, and he can recruit. It's just you know I don't know. He could how. do he could do what he what Josh Heupel's been able to come in and do at Tennessee. I think he could do at Auburn. He's that good a offensive coach. That being said, exited that conference in scandal. He's now at Liberty. He's winning at Liberty. That's great. Um, but if your choice is if you actually have a choice between him and Kiffin, I would think you're going to go with the guy who is a current. SEC West successful SEC West head coach rather than the guy who's at Liberty. That's just I, my I think you're probably sense. right. I think you're probably right. All right. So we, we we made a point to record this on Tuesday night instead of Wednesday because it was coming off the committee ranking first committee rankings. I don't know that we're going to make a weekly habit of that. Um, we shall see. Uh, because we went long on this, we're not going to be able to hit the mailbag this week. We will do so next week. For sure, promise. Send your emails to theaudiblepod at gmail.com, and we'll see you next time.